Hey, go ahead and turn to James. Open some scripture. If you have a Bible on you, if you don't have a Bible on you, there's uh, one under the chair around you. And you can pull up the Bible app as well if that works easier for you and follow along there. We'll have the scriptures there in the Bible app along with some announcements. Uh, There's a connection card, lots of different things there uh, on the Bible app when you scan it there. As we continue our series in James, and uh, just excited to be in the Word with you guys this morning, excited to see what he has for us, and it's been insightful for me as I've been looking at this now for a couple of weeks, this passage in James chapter 3, starting in verse 13 is where we're going to be here in a second. But here's what we've seen. James has been giving us a picture up to this point, not so much a picture of how we're saved, not so much a picture of how we're justified, but more so what our lives look like when we've been saved and when we've been justified. He's taken some time to show us what the marks in our lives are that show that the gospel's really taken root in our lives. And along these same lines, can we just say up front, if you're just jumping in with us as a church family, um, if uh, you're pretty new to joining us on Sunday mornings, can we say this together, that our desire is to be a church so changed by the gospel that it affects our actions, right? So changed by the gospel, who Christ is and what he's done, that it affects our actions, how we treat each other, how we treat the people here in our valley. And so here's where we're going today. There's this contrast on the horizon for us this morning, a contrast on the horizon, and it has to do with wisdom. It involves wisdom, and this might be the thesis for today. And so if you're looking right up front for the main point of where we're going this morning, here's, here's where we're going If you've been changed by the gospel of Christ, you'll have a heavenly, God-originated wisdom. If you haven't been changed by the gospel, you'll be dominated by self-absorption. Your life will show that actually you're still really the one on the throne of your heart. And said another way, wisdom is a mark of having been changed by the gospel. Wisdom is a mark of having been changed by the gospel and that is demonstrated in how you treat others. And that's so much of what James is writing about. That's so much of what we've seen here, of what James is covering, how the gospel affects how we treat others, right? That's what we're looking at, how the gospel changes how we treat others. He's just finished writing about partiality toward others. If you remember where we've been so far, right? That the gospel affects us not being partial to others. He's just finished writing about partiality toward others. He's just finished writing about showing our faith in taking care of other people, about not using our words to crush people if you were here last week. So it's no wonder he'll keep in that same vein and talk about how true wisdom is really evidenced in how we treat people. Let's get to the scriptures before I get too carried away here on the front end. So James chapter 3, verse 13, James is going to start the passage today with a question. James chapter 3, verse 13, starts with a question. 
goes like this. Who is wise and understanding among you? And so that's the question. It's the same as if I walked in here. James is addressing us. It's the same as if I walked in here today and just asked you guys, hey, who, who of you is wise in here? Who of you has understanding and you would begin to process whether you could raise your hand or not, whether you were wise, whether you had wisdom? Who are the wise ones in here in this gathering? Who really thinks they have wisdom? And we begin to think whether or not we should raise our hand if I were to ask you that. Or should I raise my hand? Am I, am I wise? Do I have wisdom? Am I a wise person? Or if I passed out a slip of paper that just said three words, are you wise? And then you had a box, you know, check yes or no. And you could just check yes or no as to whether you are wise. And you would be kind of trying to articulate whether you were wise and, and giving evidence to that, whether you raised your hand, whether you said, yes, I'm wise, or whether you checked yes on the box. And the question you would really want to be asking in that moment is, well, how do I know if I'm a wise person? Right As you begin to analyze kind of uh, who you were, well, how, do I, how would I know if I'm wise, whether I should check yes on the box or not? How do I know if I'm a wise person? And that's the question James really answers. And so let's keep reading verse 13. We'll start at the beginning and then finish down through the rest of that verse. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he answers the question, the evidence. By his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so, who is wise among you? Well, the one whose conduct proves it. That's who's wise among you. The one whose conduct proves it. That's what James just said. Who's the one with wisdom? The one whose actions are wise and humble toward Others Again, remember the broader context. James keeps walking down here and saying uh, the, the gospel is the understood part, that, we, that he's addressing believers, those who have been, been changed by the gospel, and he's saying this is what li- life looks like, and then he begins to say, here's what a life changed by the gospel looks like, and here's what a life changed by the gospel looks like. It's in how you treat people. It'll come out in how you treat others, and that's what he says here. It's by your good conduct and your care for others that reveals Wisdom. Wow, right? What's the evidence that you're wise? Well, it's in how you treat others. Are you selfless in the way you treat others? Here's the takeaway. It's your good conduct and care for others that reveals wisdom. It's not how much you know. It's not how many books you've read evidenced by your life and how you treat others, your conduct with others that reveals wisdom. Remember, we said a second ago that there was a contrast coming. What's the opposite of this kind of wisdom that's evidenced through our conduct? What's the contrast? If that's, if that's one kind of wisdom here, and we're gonna see, we're gonna continue to read and see this contrast, one type of wisdom versus another wisdom, which is really false wisdom. What's the contrast? Well, a life that has not been changed by the gospel displays something different than the wisdom we just read about. Let's look at the scriptures, James chapter five, I mean, sorry, chapter three, verses 14 and 15, as we regularly do. 
Why don't you take a break from hearing my voice and read this with a couple of people around you. James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, and see what the evidence is of someone who does not have this godly wisdom that comes from the gospel. Ready, go. Okay, so we've already laid out, here's, here's, what, here's the evidence of wisdom in your life that obviously comes from the gospel. The evidence is given by your good conduct with others, your works in meekness of wisdom. That's the evidence of one kind of wisdom. And the contrast is what you guys just read, and I'm going to read it again so that we're just soaking in what's being said here. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, if we could pause right there and, and kind of just uh, understand what's being said there, because we can just read over words like that and just say, oh, I know what that means, and we read over and say, let's, let's stop just for a second and, and make sure we understand what's being said as the evidence for someone that doesn't have this wisdom that we'll see is from above here in a second. Bitter jealousy. This is my summary of bitter jealousy being consumed by what others have, so we would, we would say that's typically jealousy, uh, is wanting what others have, but I added being consumed by what others have, and so always look at the next person and, and seeing what they have and wanting it for yourself, but it doesn't stop there. It's being consumed by what others have and thinking you should be the one that has it because after all, you are the better person right? Bitter jealousy. I can't believe what they have. I would love to have what, see that's jealousy. I'd love to have what they have. I want what they have, which insinuates you're not happy with the things that the Lord has presently given you. But then this bitterness that comes with that, this self-focus that comes with that is, is you add an entitlement piece to it, right? I should have that because I'm better than them. I should be the one that has that because after all, I kind of have things more together in my life. Haven't I earned that instead of that person? Bitter jealousy. Evidenced that you don't really have the wisdom that's from above. And next we see selfish ambition. So, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and I had to pause on this one for a while. I had to go look at the dictionary to really understand what's being said. Why did he not just say ambition? Why did he add selfish ambition to it? Because ambition in and of itself may not be all bad. If you just look up the definition of ambition, it's a strong de- desire to achieve something. We can look at that and go, well, that's not in and of itself bad, a strong desire to achieve something. Uh, right? I, I mean, if I am working on the car, which I try not to do as much anymore these days, because it just takes me three or four times as long as it does if I take it to the shop. But if I have a strong desire to achieve something in that repair on the car, that's not necessarily bad. But then you add this piece of selfish ambition, 
and you get this strong desire to achieve something at the cost of everyone and everything around you. Do you see the difference there? It's all about yourself in your achieving. What you're pursuing in life is rooted in the need to be somebody. Well, I'll accomplish something and I'll show everyone how awesome I really am. I'll show everyone by my achievement that the world really does revolve around me. Anybody identify with that? Selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Now let's go back to verse 14. This is what you just read. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false about the truth. If we can summarize that and say, hey, don't fool yourself. That's not the wisdom that comes from above. That's what James is saying if I'm paraphrasing, right? Don't fool yourself. Where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are in your life, that's evidence that that's not the fruit of the wisdom that comes from above, that in turn is the fruit of the gospel in our lives. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, do you see the contrast going on here that James is, James is painting? These two kinds of wisdom. One is true wisdom from above, from God. The other one is not from God. And so what's the sign that you're not wise, that you don't have wisdom as a result of the gospel in your life? Well, self-absorption. If we could zero in on that. What's the evidence? Well, it's self-absorption, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, do we see the contrast? God's wisdom as a result of the gospel is selfless and humble. And what's the opposite of godly wisdom and commonplace in someone who hasn't been changed by the gospel? It's selfishness and arrogance. And we're just looking at the fruit. That's what James is trying to get us to do is just look at fruit. And if we're continuing in the contrast, you have wisdom from above, which comes from who? God? Right? We can say that, right? Let's try it again. <laughs> you have wisdom from above, which comes from who? God. God that's, there you go. That's good. You have that on one side. Again, this contrast. And then you have the opposite of that is a false wisdom or a foolishness that comes from who? The enemy. And and I wonder if we picked up on that. I wonder if we picked up on that, that this opposite, this false wisdom, if the wisdom over here is the, it comes from above, it comes from God, this wisdom over here, we tend to say that it comes from ourselves, but the scripture said it doesn't just come from ourselves, it actually comes from a much darker place. And I wonder if we saw that. Did you see into verse 15? We, in fact, if we just read the whole 15 verse this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and what? Demonic. Because it, it, just in, on the front end of this, I would have said, well, yeah, we have God's wisdom, and then we have our wisdom, which is really foolishness in and of itself. But James takes it a step further. 
Two kinds of wisdom, wisdom from God and a false wisdom from Satan. So follow me here. In these moments when we think we know better than God, because we all walk in those moments, right? Where we think we know better than God, where we're like, ah, God, I know your word says this, but you meant that for all the other people in the world and not for me. And then we end up in this place where we think we know better than God when we know what God says, but think, well, he didn't really mean me specifically, and we try to chart our own path according to our own wisdom, right? Every one of us have been there, right? And in that moment, whose wisdom are we actually tapping into if it's not God's wisdom? It's Satan's. And that was sobering for me. A sobering thought, because James takes it a step further than just me taking my own way. It's either God's wisdom or it's not. But it's the norm in our culture, right? Follow your heart, you do you, listen to your heart. This is the cultural standard, right? Thinking of yourself as your best source of wisdom, and how common is this with us, right? Thinking of ourselves as our best source of wisdom. I know better what's for me than any other source, I would say don't get sucked in. If you don't have wisdom from God, his wisdom, then anything else that you may have is not from him. As James says, it's earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. And so the wisdom that you think comes from you is ironically not from you at all. It's actually from Satan. That's, again, sobering. So we have, if we're doing this contrast again, we have Godly wisdom, and we have false wisdom, and now let's get practical. What do our lives look like when each of these has taken hold of us? Because James paints this picture for us. It's really cool where he says, okay, you have these two different kinds of wisdom, a true wisdom from God, a false wisdom from Satan, and then James gives us a picture. He paints this picture for us of what our lives look like when we have one or the other. And so... What our lives look like when each of these has taken hold of us? What's the result of living in false wisdom and selfishness? And what's the result of living in godly wisdom or selflessness? Here's the picture James paints. Look at chapter 3 again, verse uh, 16. He's going to talk about the wisdom that is not from God, that's not from above. What it looks like when it takes hold of us. Verse 16, for where jealousy is, and selfish ambition exists. Remember, that's evidence of the false wisdom. There will be disorder. Does that sound fun to anybody? (laughs) And every vile practice. What does it look like when our lives are dominated by an earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, the wisdom that's not from the Lord? What does that look like when it takes hold of our lives? Will there be disorder and every vile practice? Verse 17, again, here's the contrast, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. And again, remember James's overall context. He wants to show us how to interact with each other as believers, with people in our lives in light of the gospel. What does it look like? What does that wisdom look like? But the wisdom above from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. What, what a contrast, right? To 
disorder and every vile practice and then what James gives us here of, as the fruit of godly wisdom in our lives. It's the result of gospel change. When we're changed by the gospel, we begin to live by godly wisdom and the evidence of godly wisdom in our lives is selflessness, especially in the ways we treat those around us. So let's finish up here. If we're taking all this kind of into account, if you notice, up to this point in this passage we've read right here, James hasn't told us how to get wisdom. But if you've been here in the weeks before, in the lead up, or if you've spent much time in James, specifically chapter one, James has already told us how to get wisdom. Do we remember how we get wisdom? Anybody? Ask, yeah, pray, ask, ask. Well, who are we asking for wisdom? I know you guys would get it the second time. Right? We ask God. James has already told us that in chapter one. It's the importance of reading over, uh, reading in context, taking into account the, the whole work here. This is the ultimate, get this, this is the ultimate sign that you don't think you should be on the throne of your heart. And I wonder if we see that in the asking of God for wisdom that communicates something about how we think of ourselves and how we think of God. See, our sinful default says, well, I'm the best source of wisdom. We already talked about that a second ago. I do what I want to do. And at the bottom of that thinking is the sinful default of self-sufficiency. I'll do it myself. I've got everything I need. Why would I need to ask God or anybody else for anything because I've got it all figured out. I've got all the answers. But the groundwork for the gospel says this. I don't have what it takes, but he does. He's my source, and he is enough. And asking for wisdom is a reflection of this truth it's our recognition that he holds wisdom and if we want wisdom, it's his to give and he's the source. And I love the visual of this. I was trying to think of something that could represent wisdom and honestly, this is just the first thing I grabbed uh, this morning, kind of last minute. I don't know why I grabbed this other than it looked good. I'm like, I would like to eat this. And so I'm trying to think, okay, if this represented wisdom, and this is super simple, guys. This is nothing that's gonna blow your mind, but maybe the simplicity of it will come back to us as we understand that God has wisdom and we don't and we ask him for it, right? Kobe, come up here. So, uh, yeah, give Kobe a hand. Yeah, it's Kobe if you don't know Kobe. So uh, let's just pretend that Kobe has wisdom, and that's wisdom. And so Kobe possesses wisdom, right? Do I have any wisdom right now? No wisdom. And so in order to get what Kobe has, what do I need to do? Ask for it, right? Do I have anything in my hands? Remember that image, right? That's how we come to him, empty-handed, right? It's the posture, it's the groundwork for the gospel. And so I come empty-handed and I ask Kobe for wisdom because who has wisdom? 
Kobe. I don't. And so I'm going to come to Kobe, and if we're carrying out the illustration, uh, we could just say uh, Kobe's room at Timberline is just full to the ceiling of wisdom. <laughs> this, is not, this is not all the wisdom he has, right? So I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to ask for it. Kobe, can I have wisdom? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Kobe. Give Kobe a hand. It, it's simple, and, and in some ways, it's, it, it, some of you may be like, it's so simple. Why did he do that whole visual just for something so simple? Because it's the simple stuff that we overlook, right? When we're talking about wisdom and God possessing wisdom and, and the fruit of, of a wisdom that is not from God is the idea that oh, I've got everything I have. My hands are full. Why would I ask anyone for anything? My hands are, I've got everything I want. And yet groundwork for the gospel says, I got nothing. He's got everything. He's the source. And so when we're looking at wisdom and the fruit of it in our lives and and what a false wisdom looks like, and then we see what James has already said about asking for wisdom. It's this beautiful imagery of asking for something we don't inherently have. And that's, I think where life comes from this morning. When we look at the scriptures, we go, well, where's the life in it? Where's the gospel in it? It's that we are empty-handed and that's how we come to the Lord. When it comes to wisdom and us asking for wisdom, it's the imagery of asking for something we don't inherently have and that gives us some overarching truths. Get this, we are a needy people and he is everything we need. On our own, we lack wisdom, he is wisdom. On our own, we lack righteousness. He is the righteous one. He is righteousness. On our own, we're in the dark. He is the light. On our own, we're spiritually dead. He is life. We could go on and on, right? But it's this imagery of us being empty and him being what fills us and him being the sufficient one. And maybe that speaks right into wherever you, whatever you're walking through this morning and you feel empty-handed, It's the best groundwork for the gospel there is because it puts us in a place of dependency on him, of confessing him as the sufficient one. That's Jesus. And I wonder if we can allow him to direct our paths back to him this morning. That we might see our desperate need for him and cry out, Cry out to the one who is all we need in our insufficiency. He is the all-sufficient one. Remember, in our, in our times as we gather together, we're not just adding some moral lessons. We're not just adding some, some truth to our brains. We're asking, Lord, would you change us from the inside out? Lord, would you help us to understand the beauty of who you are and what you've done, that we would come to you open-handed and empty-handed, Lord, knowing you're the only one that fills, you're the only one that's sufficient for us. And when we look at wisdom, the lesson here is not, hey, just go get more wisdom in your life. Here's some some ways to be a wiser person. That would be a dead end, right? We look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you are wisdom. 
and, and as you change us from the inside out, as you bring us from darkness into light, the fruit of that in our lives is wisdom. Wisdom from above, wisdom from him that begins to come out in how we treat others, how we treat each other as a church family, how we treat those in our community. What a beautiful word here from James pointing us back to the wisdom that comes from him. Let's go to him in prayer. And as we pause here in prayer, maybe you take a little bit, maybe just take a few moments and go, God, I, your word is coming through clearly this morning like I haven't heard in a while. Maybe the first thing you do is thank him for his word. Maybe the first thing you do is, God, I thank you that you speak. I thank you that you're a good God. And maybe you begin to pray and reflect on the truths that he's revealed to you this morning. God, would you, in your goodness, allow your gospel to burst alive in my heart, in our hearts, to the point that your wisdom begins to invade me, to invade us as a church family. And by your spirit, would you allow that selfless wisdom to impact how I treat others, how we treat others who you place in our path, whether it be fellow students, whether it be coworkers, whether it be our family members. Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us. Jesus, you the righteous one dying for us, the unrighteous. Jesus, you being full of life and coming out of the grave as contrasted with us, dead without you. I pray, Lord, that the truth of who you are and what you've done will so burst alive in our hearts that it begins to flow out in, in wisdom. And not just wisdom that we say we're wise, but the kind of wisdom that shows in our actions how we treat others. Lord, may we be known by our love for each other that springs from you first showing us what love is. We pray these things in your name. Amen.